So if you could do one thing, just one thing in your life, what would you do? I remember when I was a kid, if you'd asked me that question, I said, if I could do just one thing, I would want to be a Pittsburgh Steeler. I'd want to be, and for you that are older, I'd want to be Franco Harris catching the immaculate reception to beat the Oakland Raiders with fans going wild. That would be my one thing. I'm older now, and you think some of my uh, desires would change. I kid with my, uh, my kids. I say, if I could do one thing today, maybe surprise this, I'd want to be like a rock star that comes out on the stage, you know, and all the fans are going, Rick, Rick, Rick. <laughs> and then I just sing, and they're all swaying back and forth. That's my one thing. Think about it, though. What would you do? One thing. In today's passage, we see what David wants. He asks for one thing. He wants to be in the presence of the Lord. All the days of his life and gaze on the beauty of the Lord and meditate on him, think on him, inquire about him. You know, we're still early in the new year. uh, And some of you may still be thinking about goals. You know, we always have those standard goals. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to try to read uh, more. My desire this morning after this is one goal that you'll add to your list is that you desire more to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Now, for those of you who have been coming to my uh, Sunday school class on Psalms, know that this particular psalm, which is a beautiful psalm of David, Psalm 27, we would call it a psalm of confidence. Psalms of confidence are recognized by the trust that the worshiper expresses in God as a protector. And the heart of Hebrew poetry that we learned is a device called parallelism. It's a literary pattern that states one idea in a line and focus more closely on that same idea in the following line, either repeating the thought in different terms or focusing on the thought more specifically. And you see that uh, today. And you also see metaphors in, in poetry in the Old Testament. And we see that today. David describes the Lord, by the way, when you see it's all caps, that's Yahweh, that's the unspoken name, as his light, his salvation, the stronghold of his life. You can see the parallel descriptions, right? Then he asks some parallel questions, right? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid of? By the way, this is very similar to the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter Eight, who asked a similar question, right? If God is for me, who can be against me? Well, what's the answer to that question and all the questions we just raised by David? No one. No one, right? So I ask you this morning, who or what is your stronghold? Where do you go in times of trouble, fear, anxiety, doubt? I hope you go to the Lord. Jesus said, in this world, we will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We can go to our Lord in times of need. 
Now, something's going on in David's life here, right? We see in verses 2 and 3, evildoers assail him. He has adversaries. He has foes. An army may encamp against him, it says. War may rise up against him. Kind of helps us maybe a little bit to understand when he wrote this, right? He could be either under attack from Saul, who was trying to kill him. Could be his son Absalom, who was also trying to get rid of him. Or the Philistines, his arch enemies, right? If you recall, for those that were here in November in my sermon, uh, there was a time where David was trapped in a cave, right, with 3,000 of Saul's special forces ready to pounce on him. He could have written this during that time. But what does David do? Verse 3, it says, he strengthens himself. He says, my heart will not fear. I shall be confident. Now, is this merely self-confidence? Where does he go for strength? Well, he goes to the Lord. That's why he starts it out. He is my light. He is my salvation. He's a stronghold. Notice he says stronghold of life. Not just that particular moment of life, but his entire life. He's the stronghold. And then he launches into verse 4, where I want to spend most of the time this morning, in the focus of the sermon. And he says, One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and acquire in his temple. Again, we see in that verse parallelism. He does five things, right? He asks, he seeks, he dwells, he gazes, he inquires. But it's all about one thing, right? The thing that matters most. I have two points this morning. Uh, number one, David's singular focus, his singular desire. And number two, his actions towards that desire. You know, it's one thing to have a desire. It's another thing to act on that desire. A lot of times we have great desires, right? And we don't do anything about it. David is acting on his desire. So number one, first point, David's singular focus or desire. And it's on the one thing that really matters. You all know, and I know what focus is, right? Single-mindedness. It's an intentness on one thing. And if we're honest with ourselves, most of us are not very focused. We are not the sniper rifle. We are the shotgun, right? So many things being pulled in so many directions, busy with so many things. I think the smartphone has ruined us for one thing, not allowing us to be focused, You know, when I think of focus, I think of my dogs, Bailey and Abby. Now, every day during the week, I go home for lunch. And Bailey and Abby, one's a Maltese and one's half Maltese and Chihuahua, they're waiting for me. And you know why they're waiting for me? They want their pepperoni. (laughs) If you'd have dogs, probably know what the pepperonis are. And I stand there and I hold up that pepperoni and Abby and Bailey are just focused. That's all they see is pepperoni, right? Focus. That's the kind of focus we see here. Intentness. I really want that pepperoni. David's saying, I really want to be in the presence of the Lord. Or to say another way, it's to live in the awareness of God's presence as if he were in that tabernacle every day. You know, he says that earlier, one of the most famous and well-known psalms, Psalm 23, it says what? 
and the Lord is my shepherd. But he says later on, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. How long? Forever. Forever. Now, the house of the Lord for David was a tabernacle. The temple had not been built yet, right? Solomon built the temple. But you know, the tabernacle, as well as the temple, was carefully designed by God to mirror heaven, to give people some visible representation of the glory of God and of heaven. And for those of you who went through the Hebrews class I had, you may recall that the writer of Hebrews lays that out, that the tabernacle and the sacrifices were but a shadow of good things to come. They were a shadow instead of the true reality. But David could picture within that tabernacle the presence of the Lord. He could sit in that tabernacle was there when he was there and enjoy the beauty of the Lord and to think about the Lord. Now, does that mean he wanted to be a Levite and just live there and work there the whole time? Well, not necessarily, but think about, we just got done with Christmas, right? And you remember in, in Luke's gospel, it talks about several characters leading up to the birth of Christ, but there was one named Anna, and it says she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. She was waiting for the coming Messiah and the redemption of Israel. Anna was about going to the temple every day, being in the presence of the Lord. Same thing with David. It was his singular focus, her singular focus, to be in God's presence. We need to ask ourselves, do we have that desire? Do we have that hunger, that ardent desire to be with the Lord, to be with the Lord's people, to meditate and inquire in his temple? I hope so. You know, Paul says a very similar thing in Philippians, right? He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. But one thing I do, there's the one thing, one thing I do, I forget what lies behind, I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Y'all remember, Joe went through it months back, but the story of uh, Martha and Mary, right? Let me read from that. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he had said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me do the work by myself? Try, tell her to help me. My kids would would come up to us, right? We'd say, do the dishes, and they'd say, tell my sister to help me or someone to help me. So what's Jesus say? Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. Lack of focus. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Here, Jesus, only one thing's needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away. What was the one thing Mary chose? To be at the feet of Jesus, to hear the words 
of Jesus. Now, Martha was doing all good things. And a lot of times we're like Martha. We're busy, busy, busy doing work in the church and think, but we don't have a relationship where we get close with the Lord and sense the power and the presence of the Lord. And he's saying, come, sit at my feet and learn of me. Intent, very intent. Okay, let's get to my second point, which I want to spend the most of the time on. David's actions, David's actions. Uh, and then I'm going to hit on at some point, the beauty of the Lord, because it's really about the beauty of the Lord, the presence of the Lord as it relates to the beauty of the Lord. So let's see what we can learn from David. And I'll have five points here, not to confuse you. Subpoints, okay, I'll call them subpoints. All right, the first subpoint, ask the Lord. Ask the Lord. If we want to experience the presence of the Lord, we need to ask him in faith. You know, and without faith, the Bible says, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. All right, that's from Hebrews. Do you believe God will answer your prayer when you ask him? Do you have that feeling that he will answer? Well, he wants to answer. He wants to answer. And oh, by the way, he loves hearing from you. He loves hearing from me. You know, we're, we're in a new stage of life now, right? My kids are moving off to school. So we don't get to see him as much. But there was nothing last night. Uh, my son Jackson calls FaceTime. And my wife sees the picture come up on the screen. And you could just see the, you know, the excitement, the joy to talk to her son. And, and I get that same feeling, right? You want to talk to your children. How much more our Heavenly Father, right, wants to hear from us. James says, draw near to God, and what? He'll draw near to you. So the first step is simple, it's to ask, but it's also the most neglected many times. Second one, seek, seek. We are to be seekers, right? I will seek after it. Not only am I going to ask, I'm going to seek to be in the presence of the Lord. Well, Jesus said similar things, right? Seek first, kingdom of God, his righteousness, And all these things shall be added unto you. There's an active pursuit of God's presence and kingdom. Always looking for it. Always looking for it. The problem is we get so distracted with life that we don't look for it. We don't get that focus. See, David, when he's writing this, he's probably out being chased by Saul. Like I said, he is not living a great life uh, at home in the comfort of his house. He is probably on the run. Looks scraping food for him and his men. It's not a great time in his life, but his desire is focused to see the Lord. Jesus said what? He who seeks, you will find. Seek the Savior. I like how Paul says it in Colossians. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind. Here's where that David's talking about the, the inquiring and meditating. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth. The life of the believer is a life of seeking, focusing on Jesus. Next point, C, three, dwell in the house of the Lord. David's desire is to dwell in God's house. He loves to worship. He loves to be with God's people. And there's nothing like corporate Worship. It's important for God's people. 
That's why we gather each week. We need this. This is good. It's important. It helps us to reflect the glory of God. Worship can be, I don't think, better described than in Psalm 84. Listen to this. Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. See that there again, dwelling in the house, ever singing your praise. And this next verse you'll know, it's a song, for a day in your courts is a better than a thousand elsewhere. Well, we're not always gathered together in the church, so how about when we're outside the church, we're out you know, walking in life, you know, what do we do then? Well, can we still enjoy his presence? We can still enjoy and be aware of his presence. I think of another beautiful psalm written by Moses, Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will what? Abide in the shadow of the Almighty. We can abide in the shadow of the Almighty wherever we walk, you know? What was that? Peanuts. Remember the uh, pig pen? What was the, the guy who was always dirty? Pig pen, yeah. He had the shadow of the dirt always falling, right? Wherever he went, he went. We can walk in the shadow of the Almighty each and every day. Again, because David, when he's penning a lot of these Psalms, he's writing them in situations, circumstances that were not great, Right? But he was always anticipating and thinking about when he got back to uh, Jerusalem at time or before that, he wanted to get where? To the tabernacle. How about us? Do we have a desire each Sunday to want to be in the house of the Lord? To be with God's people? I hope so. Next one, gaze. D, gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. The word gaze includes the idea of longing for, spending time on. You know, we don't really know how to gaze anymore. I was thinking about this. We've kind of lost that ability. We just got past Christmas. You know the great movie, The Christmas Story with Ralphie, right? What's he want? Red Ryder BB gun. Remember the scene? He just, he's just gazing at it in the window. It's an antennaness. There's a joy there. It's like, I'm going to get my, I want that Red Ryder BB gun right? Think about it, parents, when you put your kids to bed at night, and they fall asleep, and you look down on their faces, what do you do? You kind of just gaze at them, right? It's a gazing, it's an intent, it's a love that comes from that. Husbands, remember first when you started dating your wife, and you fell in love? Remember all the gazing. <laughs> Come on, you know, he's like, oh, she's so beautiful. I hope we do. <laughs> we need to slow down and learn how to gaze. Just stop for a moment and gaze. And we'll get to this in it. At God's beautiful creation, Right? All the intricacies of life that he's given us. To gaze at the stars and look at the heavens. 
I always pull my kids out and try to encourage them to be get outside, right? I love to go to Turkey Creek, just walk down and gaze beauty out at White Point. So many places to go. You know, the problem in America today, we have a lot of mental health problems, right? I think you could reduce mental health problems by just getting people outside and enjoying the beauty of God's creation. All right, next point. David wants to inquire, meditate in God's house, okay? So again, David is probably on the run or in battle and hasn't been in the tabernacle for some time, but his single focus is God's beauty and to inquire, to learn more about the Lord. He wants to know God better. He wants to hear God's word. He wants to grow in the knowledge of God. You see, all these actions are wrapped up in getting to knowing God and experiencing, right? We need to be students of the word. Continually growing in the knowledge and wisdom of God, but it takes effort. That word inquire, meditate, thinking, thinking hard on it. We need to think hard. We should be ever learning more about God's word. We should not stop learning. I think sometimes we can get, oh, I know it all. I've read those books. I can, no, I'm finding out the more I get to know God in the Bible, the less I really know. So I encourage you. It's early in the year. I know many of you are reading through the Bible. I'd encourage you to read through the Bible, read books, get to know God better that way. All right, I'd like to spend the remaining time on the beauty of the Lord. All right, the beauty of the Lord. And I could probably do a whole sermon on this, so I'm going to go through it real quickly. All right. Have you ever encountered beauty in a song, a painting, a story, a movie, or even another person? You would say, isn't he or she beautiful, right? That art, wasn't that beautiful? You sense the excellence of it, but more than that, you find that excellence attractive, right? Is beauty really in the eye of the beholder, or is it more than that? I found this gem in Psalm 50, and I've been thinking about it. Listen to this, Psalm 50. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty... God shines forth. Let me read that again. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. The great Scottish divine Samuel Rutherford said, All beauty has an objective standard in the absolute beauty of God. But it's not an aspect of God's being that we consider often. Yet David sought this as his greatest desire. Nothing was more important to him. And I have to put one more theologian in there. Augustine once said, you, Lord, created heaven and earth. They are beautiful because you are beauty. They are good because you are goodness. The beauty of, of the Lord is about God's attractiveness, his desirability, his true nature. Everything about him, his character, everything that is good and righteous has its ultimate fulfillment in God. When we read about his attributes and actions and scriptures, we perceive God for who he really is. But let me ask you a question. Do we see God more as useful or as beautiful? Useful in that I get out of him what I need? Or do you just want to say, I just want to be in his presence? You know, the rich young ruler messed up. He went to the right person, right? Jesus. We, and he lo- went looking for the 
would seem like the right gift, but what did he want? He wanted eternal life. He didn't want the, the giver of eternal life because he didn't have the heart for it. He missed out on the boat. You know, I'm going to quickly go through these. Where do we see God's beauty? We see God's beauty in his marvelous creation, right? The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well, says the psalmist. Jesus even said, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. The great reformed theologian Jonathan Edwards used to love to gaze upon God's beauty and nature. Reflecting on one of his long walks through the great outdoors, he wrote, God's excellency, his wisdom, his purity and love seem to appear in everything, in the sun, the moon, and stars, in the clouds, in the blue sky, and the grass, everywhere. We need to take time to gaze upon his marvelous creation. Number two, we see God's beauty in his holy word, his holy word. We could spend a lot of time on that, but the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. What is perfect, what is sure, what is right, what is pure is what? It's going to be beautiful. It enlightens the eyes. Beauty enlightens the eyes, the eyes of our spirit. Now, I know some of you ladies are going through, reading through the Bible, and you, you get into Leviticus, and in Joshua, where there's a lot of bloodshed, and you say, I don't see much beauty there. What? But the, the beauty that's in all of it is there's a grand theme, a story of redemption from beginning to end. There's a lot of ugliness in the Bible, but when you read it as a whole, it's a beautiful thing. God's word, we need to find delight in that. Number three, we see beauty in the face of Jesus, in the face of Jesus. John 1, 18 says, no one has ever seen God, but his only begotten son has made him known. Jesus made his father known. Paul said, let, shine, let light shine out of darkness as shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We don't see him here physically, right? Because he's at the right hand of the Father. But as Paul says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see him what? Face to face. We will see that beauty. We see God's beauty in the unity and fellowship with other believers. When we're unified together as God's people, there's beauty to that, right? There's not beauty in chaos and dissension and strife and backbiting. It's ugly, right? You know it's ugly when it's in our families, right? But when there's unity, we see the beauty of God. We see the beauty of God in all the goodness that he has given us. Zechariah 9.17 says, How great! is his goodness, and how great is his beauty. Grain shall make the young men flourish, and new wine the young women. Oh, the beauty of a good meal and good drink, right? Sometimes my daughter, Madison, loves to send me pictures of her meal, you know. She had barbecue yesterday, and it's just the symmetry of it, the beauty of it. I know you're getting hungry. We're almost there, okay? (laughs) 
All right. And we also see God's beauty in our holy lives, in the holy living. Psalm 29, 2. Ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name, worship the Lord in the splendor, the beauty of holiness. There are many more examples in scripture of the beauty of the Lord, and I encourage you to study it more. But why is it important? Why is it important to grow in awareness of the presence of the Lord? Well, from this psalm we learn because we go through difficult times. We go through challenging times. We go through periods of dryness and darkness. Verse 2, it said, when evildoers assail me. Verse 3, though the army encamp against me. If you read down further, and we didn't read the whole psalm, and I encourage you to read. Verse 9, he says, my family has forsaken me. How worse can it be get than your own family forsaken you? Did David struggle with fear and anxiety? Well, you read through the psalms, he did. All right? He did. The normal life can be agitated. It can be uneasy. Sometimes our sin and our guilt build up a wall, and we feel separated from God. He seems so far away. So what do we do? What do we do? We do the one thing David does. We ask, we seek, we dwell, we gaze, inquire. Because we can easily forget. We need to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. I close with an illustration. I remember when I was dating Trish, and she lived in uh, Gainesville, and I lived at uh, Fort Walton Beach, okay? So we, we didn't get to see each other much, and uh, but she uh, sent me a picture of uh, when she was wearing this beautiful dress. She was in her sister's uh, wedding, and I used to take that picture. I'd come home from a rough day at work. I would get that picture out and I would gaze at it. And why did I gaze at it? It brought joy. It was just pleasantness, beautiful thoughts, even though she was away. And you and I, when we go through difficult times, we need to look into God's word, God's creation, God's house of worship, we come together each week. We need to go to those places where we can see the beauty of the Lord to remind us of how good he is. You see, there really is only one thing that matters, and that's to be in the presence of the Lord, to gaze upon his beauty. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your beauty. Thank you for all the many things you've given to us to show yourself to us through your creation, through your son, through your word, Lord, through the fellow believers. I pray, Father, that you would help us to turn to you and look to you in time of need. For we know, Lord, you are our stronghold. We know, Lord, that you are our high tower. You are, there's so many other metaphors, our help in time of need. And I pray this morning, Lord, if there's anyone struggling with their faith, that you would strengthen them, strengthen them in their awareness of your beauty, of your presence. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.